Hello and welcome. This is Reverend Mark Bishop, Interim Pastor here at St. Paul United Church of Christ in Wapakoneta, Ohio, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We say this because we try to live God's extravagant welcome. You are always welcome to be a part of our family at St. Paul UCC here in Wapak. May God bless us abundantly as we worship together. This is a strange little story. They meet a stranger on the road. They walk and talk with him all day. All day. And they did not recognize him. Isn't that really a, a parable for how we are when we approach the scriptures? <laughs> you know, we spend our life studying the scriptures and yet every time we come to it it's as if we're beginning anew as if there's something else that pops out at us and so I'm, I'm going to do something different in the last five weeks that I have with you uh, before I take my summer hiatus to California and Maryland and back and return in the fall I have five weeks before I leave, and in those five weeks, I'm going to, to talk about the entire books. Now, you can't do that. I'm going to talk about the main theme of, a, of five books. I'm going to do, in the next four weeks, I'm going to do the four Gospels, and I'm going to do them in a peculiar order in case you want to, to prepare yourself by reading the entire book before you come. And I, I want to challenge you uh, to not stop and say, now what in the world does that mean? I just want you to read it like you're reading a novel. From front to back, it won't, won't take that long. But what you're looking for is the experience of what's the main point of this book. So I'm going to do first, next week, Mark, because that's the earliest gospel we believe. And then the following two Sundays, I'm going to do Matthew and Luke, who were written a short time after that. And then that very, very obviously different one, John, on the fourth week. And then on the birthday of the church, when our 50-year or 50-day uh, party of the celebration of Easter 
uh, ends with Pentecost Sunday. We'll be having uh, new members. If any of you are wanting to be a part of that uh, new member class, let me know. Um, got a few folks in mind, and we're going to be also confirming four young people into membership in this church and having communion on May the 28th. So what's the point of doing such a thing like this? It's, it's absolutely impossible to, to talk about an entire book in, in the 15 minutes or, or 20 minutes of a sermon. Um, and so the point is for us to get exposed from the, the gospel according to Mark Bishop way of looking at things uh, to the way that different books are read and interpreted as books. Because often what we do is we take the Bible and we say, well, that's the book, right? No, that's the library. There are 67 books. 66? That's not terrible. I'm terrible with the details. Lots and lots of books in that library, and we're going to be talking about five of those books. 66, right? Okay, I was right the first time. I shouldn't doubt myself. And what we're looking for is to talk a bit about the tensions between these different books. Because they were written for different purposes in different places and different times for different audiences, they have a, a certain, uh, these days we would call it a certain spin to them, a certain focus. And so we, get, we run into, uh, let me introduce this new kind of higher level, and I don't mean higher in terms of better, I mean higher in terms of getting a 50,000-foot view of the, of the Bible. What's, what, is, what is the overarching theme and story of the Bible? And we've gotten, tra traditionally we've gotten tied all up into to knots as a church, and I mean church universal, with certain controversies contradictions, some people call them. For example, Martin Luther and the whole Protestant Reformation was based on one phrase, that we are justified through faith alone. Okay, you've heard that before, right? It's, it's, it's a very, very much Protestant way of looking at things. In Romans, Paul says, For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. But then we have this other book written by James who emphasizes what appears to be exactly the opposite point. James in chapter 2 says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. 
Now, what do we do with stuff like that? The, there, there's an apparent contradiction. We're teaching two letters are teaching exactly the opposite. Now, there's not one answer to that, that rhetorical question. What I'm proposing to you is that you need to have a, a whole toolbox filled with ways to understand these differences. And I'm not going to call them contradictions myself because I don't believe they are. Because I, th I believe that, that this particular one has a simple way of looking at it that, that Luther understood that he was not talking about uh, works in the sense of there being fruits of, of labor that Christians do as a part of their, the joyous service that we all try to carry out once we realize how much God loves us. There's, there's no, no one that can, who really gets what that means. God loves not just us, us generically, but you, by name, God knows you better than you know yourself. That's how much God loves you. It's an amazing message of resurrection that we celebrate during this Easter season. And there isn't anybody who can, cannot be grasped by the joy and thanksgiving and want to share that with other people. And that works are just a natural consequence of realizing how much God loves us. That's what James is talking about. And he's right. Faith without works means that you're not quite there yet. You don't get how amazing it is that God loves you. Whereas Paul is really not talking about works, he's talking about the law, works of the law. And what he meant by that was very technical and very pharisaical, theology-based. He meant works of, of liturgy, doing, worshiping God in just the correct way or believing that there is only one way, you've got to do it in this order, you've got to say these exact words, you can't vary from it, or you're doing something wrong, puts the human spirit in a straitjacket. And Paul believed that that kind of law killed the spirit instead of helping the spirit to grow. And so they're just simply talking about two things, two different kinds of things. And that's often what we, what we find when we t let each book be its own and learn its own language. We learn that they're not contradictions, they're just differences. They're making different kinds of points. But I believe that, that we as, we're all Western thinkers. We're all Western scientific historical thinkers. We've been raised in public schools that, that teach us how to, to think that way. And what we're always looking for is a one universal truth. 
a universal truth that's short, it's pithy, and it's a rule for all times. In every situation, in every place, isn't that what we wish we had? Isn't that what we wish the Bible was? A rule book that we could say, okay, I don't know what to do, let's look it up. But that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is a very complicated library of books. And I want to propose to you a simple framework for our work in the next five weeks. First, that there are three levels of understanding the Bible. First, and this is almost impossible to know for sure, first there was what Jesus actually intended when he taught or said or did those things. We, can, we, we have some clues, and most of us have, have our theories about what he really meant and what he really meant by doing that. Um, but there is Jesus' original intention. And then the truth is, is that every one of these books were written by an author. And that author has a way of looking at things. And that author rearranges the stories, changes the words just a little bit that, that were said. And so we have the same incident, but Jesus says three slightly different things. What do we make of that? What we make of that is that each author is trying to communicate an, an, an aspect of what he saw happening that day when Jesus spoke or healed or taught. And then there's, and this one really goes off into the stratosphere, we've got 2,000 years of theological reflections. I was telling the confirmation class about commentaries last, last session, and they were surprised to, to uh, discover that I own 1,261 commentaries. And uh, if you don't know what a commentary is, they didn't know what a commentary is. A commentary is an entire book on one of the books of the Bible. So I have 1,261 commentaries. So obviously I've got a dozen commentaries for every book of the Bible, or more. I, I didn't do the math, but uh, there's been a lot of tradition, a lot of interpretation in 2,000 years, and it's a rich history in a, in a, a veritable treasure trove of, of insight that can be had there. So we got three layers. We got Jesus' original intention, we got the author's intention, and then we have the traditions of interpretation, and then really there's a fourth layer, and that's our interpretation, <laughs> but we won't go there. So let's just take one example of, of the, 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 the differences that we find, and I'm today I'm going to take the three synoptic gospels. In synop the word synoptic simply means seen together. It's a Greek word, it's a funky Greek word that there's no 
English word uh, equivalent for. And uh, so these three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are seen together because they're, they're very stru- similar structures, similar sto- many of the same stories. And in those three stories, let's ask just one question. What does Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we're going to throw John in there uh, also, when did the human Jesus become God? I'm going to let you think about that for a minute. What's your answer to that? When did the human Jesus become God? And I'm going to challenge you to find which of the Gospels you believe because of your answers. First of all, Mark, the earliest Gospel, has, as we did in our, in our call to worship, we read the scriptures that Mark believed that it was at Jesus' baptism that he realized that he was the son of God because it says if you look back at it it doesn't say God is not addressing the crowd God is addressing Jesus personally he's saying you Jesus are my son the beloved with you I am well pleased And so this is called an adoptionist theology of when did Jesus, the human Jesus, become God. And then Matthew and Luke are both the same because we we know those very well because of how we celebrate Christmas. All, both of those gospels believe that Jesus of Nazareth became God at conception. At conception. And then we have this strange gospel, John, where it, it and, and I want to, you can turn back in your, uh, in your bulletin if you want to, and let's just think about that prologue for John in the, in answering this question, when did the human Jesus become God? John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of a son's only father, as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And so John's answer to that is that Jesus of Nazareth was God's son before he was born, forever, for eternity, before there was even creation. you ever realize there were three different ways of looking at that question? Right in the scriptures. And, and, and I, I really want to challenge you to, to, to not call them differences or contradictions, 
but to call them simply different, unique. To call them simply different, just simply different. And to emphasize that they all are trying to communicate the very same thing. Jesus of Nazareth, the human being that they had known, was the Son of God. Is the Son of God because it was raised from the dead. And now in those stories back there in the Bible and among us, that Son of God continues to show and appear to us, to communicate to us, whether it's some pastor preaching on a Sunday morning or an article that you read somewhere on your Apple News feed or wherever you, wherever you get your reading, the upper room, you know, there's lots of places we can get spiritual food, isn't there? They all agreed that this human being was the Son of God. And today we add one little twist to it, that sometimes when this Son of God appears, it's not obviously Jesus that we've encountered. It's a stranger. I want to just pick out two verses from this Road to Emmaus story that Linda read this morning. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted it to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And you know, they were wise, these people who, as Jennifer said, they were lost. They were confused. They did not know what it meant that Jesus had been crucified. It, it was really a crisis in their theology. But they knew that as people of God, we exhibit hospitality and love and kindness to each other. And so they insisted that he stay for dinner. They still didn't know who he was. He was a stranger. And after their eyes were opened through breaking bread and drinking, they realized, they saw. God moves among us every time we break bread together. Every time we drink together. God is the spirit who moves us. The risen Christ is the, the one who knits us together as the people of God. I love how the story ends. After their eyes were opened after the supper, they said, were not our hearts burning within us while we were talking while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. Every time we open this book, it is a fountainhead of 
new life and inspiration. Every time we open it up, we see something new, learn something about ourselves, feel a call clearer and clearer for what I must do to respond. It is the very fountainhead of the resurrection life that Jesus Christ has shown us. During this Easter season, we celebrate this new life. We celebrate it in lots of ways, and I hope that it will be lots of fun for us to take a 50,000-foot view of Mark next week. And I invite you, if you have the time, to just sit down and read it straight through. It's only 16 chapters. won't take you very long. Again, don't get bogged down. Don't stop at the parts that you don't understand. Just read it as you would a novel. Bless you. We're going to have a lot of fun in the next four weeks. Being the church. Being renewed by the Word of God. We pray that you have found blessing and enrichment in joining us for worship today as we are truly blessed to have you worship with us. Peace and blessings to you, and thank you for joining us today. If you would like to support the ministries of St. Paul United Church of Christ here in Wapakoneta, you can do so in three ways. First, you can mail in your gifts to St. Paul at P.O. Box 147, Wapakoneta, Ohio, 45895. Secondly, you can send your gifts online from our website, stpaulucc.com. Lastly, you can text the amount you would like to give by texting us at 844-971-1800. Come join us again at St. Paul United Church of Christ here in Wapakoneta, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here.